0: I don't often talk about this, but I grew up in a nursing home, seriously. Every day of my childhood surrounded by old people. I ate dinner with them, I watched TV with them, I listened to their stories, I helped pick them up when they took a spill. I called 911 more times than I can count when they were in distress. I heard them calling out for help in the middle of the night. And I didn't realize until I got older, after sharing my stories with other people and seeing the looks on their faces, just how unique my childhood setting was. How formative. Last week, we talked about symbols, like statues and flags, and how they shape us. This week, I wanna talk about spaces. We shape them, And then they return the favor. What if I told you that your life right now is worth noticing? This is the Attention Collection. I'm Anthony Garcia. Hey, friends. I'm not exactly sure how that intro came off, but it's not as if my childhood was like the Jungle Book, but with old people. It's not as if I was dropped off at a nursing home doorstep and then raised among the elderly. Elder care was just my family's business. And rather than purchasing an external facility, my mom just ran it out of our house. And it was licensed, so don't call anyone. But the old folks lived upstairs and we lived downstairs. My brother and I have about a hundred stories that we could sit and tell and perhaps we will someday. But for now, just imagine the mischief two young children could get into with a revolving door of surrogate grandparents living feet away from you. It was unique to say the least. And interestingly enough, I still live in that house. My wife and I are raising children in this house. And until fairly recently, we ran a similar business, albeit on the other end of the spectrum. But instead of elder care, it was child care. And diapers were still being changed, but thankfully they were much smaller. And we flipped things around. Instead of caring for people upstairs and living downstairs, we cared for people downstairs And lived upstairs, and I'm using the royal we. I had nothing to do with the childcare, other than my own children, of course. But funny enough, there's a little crossover between the two businesses. But the environments were completely different. Wall colors and fabrics, activities. The original environment was meant to comfort and protect. The other was meant to stimulate and inspire It's the same space, but radically different setting. And of course, that was by design because much like the symbols we surround ourselves with, the settings we create are formative. They speak silently, but they teach us and they inform our behavior often without us even realizing. In 1979, Harvard psychologist Ellen Langer and a group of grad students conducted a revolutionary experiment. Essentially, they asked the question, where does age live? In the body, or the mind, or both? And so they assembled a group of eight men, strangers, in their 70s, and had them live together in a house for a week. It was like MTV's The Real World Geriatric Edition but there was a twist. When the men arrived at their temporary dwelling, hunched over and shuffling with canes and calculated steps, they ushered through the front door and into another era. Bruce Grierson from the New York Times writes, then they passed through the door and entered a time warp. Perry Como crooned on a vintage radio. Ed Sullivan welcomed guests on a black and white TV everything inside including the books on the shelves and the magazines lying around were designed to conjure 1959 these men in their 70s crossed the threshold and entered a home they might have inhabited in their 50s they were encouraged to make themselves at home of course and to listen to the songs of the era to discuss the news events of the day and everything from the photos in the space to the clothes on their bodies, was from another time. Another them, so to speak. And the men were encouraged not to simply live in the space, but to live in the era it represented. Dr. Langer told them, We have good reason to believe that if you are successful at this, you will feel as you did in 1959. Okay, interesting. So what happened? Well, their gray, thinning hair began to color and thicken. Their atrophied muscles began to bulge. No, not exactly. But the results were remarkable. At the end of their stay, they showed improved physical strength. Their hearing and vision improved. They stood taller and tested cognitively higher than they had when they arrived. And they even kicked up an impromptu football game on the front lawn. And volunteers with no involvement in the study looked at before and after photos of the men, and they felt like they were looking at men two years younger. In other words, they traveled back in time. It's important to note here that this study hasn't been replicated and peer reviewed. And understandably, it's been met with some criticism, but it isn't fiction. It doesn't prove anything, but it makes some strong suggestions. Now, on the one hand, it speaks to the power of the placebo effect, which we've covered on this podcast before, but it also speaks to the power of setting. This would not have been effective had the researchers simply told them to turn on an old song and talk about their wonder years. The setting here was key. And I'm arguing that this applies to our lives as well. We are impacted by the spaces we inhabit, our homes, our workplaces, our watering holes and our houses of worship. Each space is formative, in conscious and unconscious ways. I'm not referring to the style, whether it be modern or eclectic or rustic. I'm talking about the emotions these spaces evoke, what they say about us. For instance, does your living room say, sit, stay, we've been expecting you? Or does it say, yeah, yeah, thanks for stopping by, And I know some of you are thinking, actually, it says, this is all I could afford, and I'd thank you not to judge me. I get it, but you know the point I'm making. Do our office spaces say silo or stop by any time? Because there's a difference. Do our places of worship say the special people stand up there? Or do they say we are all one? in this sacred space. If we wish to be people of diversity and inclusion and kindness and openness, our spaces must reflect that. The pictures on the wall, who we commemorate in our spaces, the music that we play has to create that atmosphere. And when it does, it helps all of us to lean in and recognize It invites us to inhabit both with our person and with our personality, the spaces we are a part of. It's okay to fuss over where we put the throw pillows or what design we choose, but our spaces speak volumes about who we are and more importantly, who we want to be, what we invite other people to partake in. We must arrange our spaces Accordingly, There's a table in my house. The elder care turned child care turned single family home. My father-in-law and I built it several years back, and it was designed for a specific purpose. My wife, Tanya, wanted a place for people to gather comfortably. Not just our immediate family, but an ever-widening family. A place where people can feel welcome and cared for and safe. It seats at least 12, with room to squeeze more in. It's beautiful, yet cumbersome. I never want to move that table again. But it speaks to the kind of people we want to be. And we hope it tells every person that darkens our door that they belong, that we have created space intentionally for them. Most days, the table doesn't even reach half capacity, to be honest. But the empty seats are reminders of the way we want to live. With three kids and two adults, the table often acts as a laundry station. Clothes piled up on one side until one of us finally musters the courage to fold them. But underneath that pile is a story. A narrative we want to be accountable to. We want our home to feel like home. To more than just us. Winston Churchill said, we shape our buildings, thereafter they shape us. To the extent that you and I get to shape the spaces we inhabit, these spaces will always return the favor, whether we realize it or not.